So grace and grit is, is for many of us, not only a book on integral theory, but, but Ken sharing a piece of his life and a piece of his heart with the entire world. Some people are saying that they have this book on their altar. So Sebastian picked it up and turned it into a movie, which is currently under distribution. So it's not yet visible. It's not yet out there in, uh, in the movies. We are hoping that later this year it will come out. But so ladies and gentlemen, a warm welcome to Sebastian Siegel and Julia Vermont. So thank you. Um, thank you, Ben, for the introductions and hello, everybody. Um, it's very nice to be invited to moderate, uh, to moderate the discussion with, uh, with Sebastian, um, who's a dear friend, who's got, I've got a lot of love and respect uh, for. And I want to kick off by obviously saying hi, and it's great to, to meet everybody who's who, who's participating in, in, in the conference. Um, and I wanted to start off by saying thank you to Sebastian because make, I've watched him over the years as a friend leap into making this film and to show the incredible tenacity and conviction that it's taken to, uh, to not compromise. And I really, I'm, I, I want us to, to spend as little time talking as possible so that Sebastian can jump in. But um, I, I, I wish we had more time and not seen um, shots of me bonking Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall. That was embarrassing. And I don't have makeup and hair here. So, um, but I will say that I've spent the last two days, uh, Sebastian came to my house, he showed it, uh, we watched it together. And I think I have spent the last two days wafting in and out of mostly internally of the experience of watching the film. It's one of those films. It stays with you. It grabs you. Um, and I said to Sebastian after watching it, light is something that plays this huge role in this film. It's beautifully interwoven. And it is an experience of being loved. It, I, if I were to encapsulate the experience, I felt as if I had been loved by this visual experience. Um, so, I, Sebastian, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, I'm going to dive in, 30 seconds to answer each of the following, and then I want to, to dive in a bit more. How long did it take you from acquiring rights to the story from Ken to Final Cut? Go. Eight years, I think. Mm -hmm. period on this, and, and uh, having shot so many movies, you know the gestation period can differentiate uh, between each movie. Um, but this one, as you said, had to be done correctly. And I didn't want to, there were certain things I didn't want to compromise. And so it was about having the right team and also allowing it to come to fruition at the right moment. So, How much time do you think as a filmmaker you put in during that time? And did it wax and wane? And what kept you going? Um, it would come and go, I suppose, in the same way, like a baby is born, where uh, there are periods that are very calm about listening and there are periods that are very intense about doing and engaging. And then of course, when the water breaks and, and it's time to go, it becomes very intense. Um, so, uh, you know, there were many long periods where it was just 24 hours a day. And of course, since, you know, Ken's work has impacted me so much for the last, you know, two decades. And in some ways it's, it's his work has transformed me so much uh 
that in many ways, once I took this on and sort of committed to it and committed to him and committed to them, that it, it's lived with me full time. It, yeah. It's a beautifully intimate film. What crew size did you have? How many people on your crew? That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. It was a big, it was a, I mean, it was a big, we had a big, big crew. That's great. A hundred, I don't know, something like that. Uh, seriously, I wondered if there was a relationship between the intimacy that you managed to capture on the film and the acting performances and how many people you actually had around you. How long was your prep time? Uh, for me, the prep was years, right, of course, in, in the writing process and then um, in the directing process and then in the producing process. And as a writer, producer, and director, I understand the hierarchy and the relationship between those two jobs at different junctures and then which one uh, prioritizes over the other. So the writing process was very long and, and in-depth. And then uh, once we came to uh, shoot, it's balancing you know, between those between those three things. How, so, but how many weeks prep did you have actually with crew? Because that's, you, you know, some, if you're in a big studio movie, the director will have a lot of budget behind it and everybody understands that shooting goes well with the, you know, the more prep you have, the better those things, those things go. How much, but I've been on movies where people have had two weeks prep and then this film comes out and you never actually get that moment to say, yep, the reason that looks like this is we only had with our budget this amount of prep. How much prep time did you have with crew? That's about right. <clears throat> just a couple of weeks. Um, couple because of weeks. Just a couple of weeks, but the, the, uh, the most integral aspects of those relationships, in other words, the ones that I would lean on and collaborate with, the strongest I had a little bit more time with, uh, my AV particularly, um, um, my DP, Sean, who I've done several projects with, and then uh, Mina came on, and, um, and then Stuart, um, and then obviously working with wardrobe and costume design and uh, set design. Um, it was really rapid. Yeah, it was about a couple of weeks. And how and we long was your shoot? We didn't sleep for those two weeks, so we got four yeah. weeks after this. <laughs> how long was your shoot? Uh, I think it was 18 days, and then uh, we lost a day in a location because of the fires in California, and then we did one pickup day later with Mina. What was your budget? Uh, I can't say. <laughs> oh, really? You know what I say? Okay. Yeah, okay, okay, so last question. This is the question. If you're on a jury of a film festival, you never get to ask. And so you have films that have had five minutes to prep and five minutes in two days. I, I was on a jury festival that uh, there was an entry where people had had two days and it went up against a, a studio movie. So I always find those questions fascinating because I think that it's part of why we end up with the film that we end up with. I have one more question. Was craft services, and for people who don't know film, those are people who provide the film, the food on a film set, was it vegan? Um, it wasn't vegan because uh, <laughs> a lot of the people who are on set were not, although Mina is. I'm sure. Is, um, and so I'm predominantly vegan, so, but it was excellent, it was great. Um, but I appreciate the question about budget. Yes, uh, you know, for, you know, to, to preface it, the film looks huge. It looks like a, a 10 or, you know, million dollar movie, but it's not. It's a very small film. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you talk more. That's the end of the 30 second answers. Um, talk to me. And I, I, I will say as an actor that you have two actors at the center of it who frankly give, I think, Oscar-worthy performances. They're raw, they're touching. What was it about your process that 
got you to, that enabled you to get such a unique performance from them, such an intimate performance from them. Um, Mina in particular I, uh, has one scene which I think you told me was done in one take where she disintegrates at the power of what's going on and how overwhelming it is and how unfair and what do you think it was that was unique about your process as a filmmaker that got there? Thanks so much for that question. Um, certainly, you know, as you know so well, the relationship between director and actor is sacred and it's an intimate uh, process of trust and collaboration. And I think it starts off with the casting um, that it was, you know, I didn't know who was going to play this role, um, but I knew that um, when I found the actress that it would be something that would come from inside. That in other words, that I, I would meet the actress and that she would say, I have to play this role, I have to. That that was more important than the acting ability, than the look, than anything else. Um, so then once I, I actually met Mina, I was opposite her in another film, and it was a very emotional scene, and um, she was just so on point. And it was the first moment I thought, maybe this is, maybe this is the girl, maybe this is Treya. And then um, sent her the script, and her manager loved the script, and she loved the script, and he was very uh, engaged. Mina's got to do this, and Mina had very strong responses to it um, on many levels. So then she and I met, and then the first time we met, uh, she cried a few times just during the meeting, and I knew right away that she was the one. So that was the, the setup that was the most important. Were you mean to her? Did What's you make that? her cry? Did you make her cry? Were you mean to her in the meeting? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was interesting because she was doing things yet yeah, that first meeting that I don't think even she was aware of that sort of evoked what was appropriate for the character and on point. Like she, we met at this hotel, the Peninsula in Beverly Hills. And she brought a coconut in a bag and sipped out of it with a straw. And I just thought it was like it was on so many levels that were synchronistic, uh, on totally on point. Then when we got on set, obviously uh, this is a challenging material for uh, actors because number one, it's just an enormous amount of material that they've got to commit to over a brief period of time. And then number two, it's obviously they're going to be beautiful and fragile and confident and sexy and they're going to make love and they're going to have sex and they're going to fight and they're going to be angry and they're going to be miserable and they're going to do all of these things. And so it's a huge, uh, can be a very daunting and intimidating thing for an actor. Um, Mina and I had a, a deeply personal, close relationship, obviously as we gave, uh, jumped in with this material, um, specifically in terms of the process, um, you know, she gave herself fully to it, yeah? Mm -hmm. and, and so she completely trusted me. And I think that's the most important thing for an actor with a director is to completely trust that once the actor feels like I'm in safe hands, they're willing to go there. And that's why actors and directors so often work again, again and again together. So I think really, you know, Mina completely trusted me. And so there so was I'm, going to, I'm, going to inter, I'm going to interject. That I think is I think that's really key. And I also want to point out there was a there was a there's a scene in it where, um, and and I hope and I'm sure that for for people who want to see the movie, this film will be picked up, will get distribution, and I'm sure Integral Institute will will platform where where, um, and and when it comes out, but. There's something about the film. There are brave choices in this film that go in and out of internal feelings and dream states and different realms and different states and how that impacts choices and behaviors and all, all of this. There's a beautiful moment where 
uh, Ken, and uh, played by Stuart, is processing some tricky information. He's put into a sort of very heightened, emotional, challenging moment. And you shoot what he's processing. You shoot the tie that he's looking at, the pen, and the, you shoot quite interesting things in that moment that because the external is kind of shut down. And that was a fascinating scene for me. And I find it fascinating that you talk about meeting Mina and you're talking about the coconut that she's drinking. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about that and talk to me about, and talk to us about it. Um, what, what was it that you did as a director? I'm sure she did trust you, but what was it that you brought to the process that got you to that level of trust, that level of openness? Um, or did she carry from the audition the fact that you were mean to her and made her cry three times and it was all about her that she, she brought her professional vulnerability to the process? So when we first met, there was a, we certainly didn't audition. We just met and talked and discussed it. Yeah, and she felt that she'd just been and married and, and was actually married in a similar sort of way and, and, and place. And so she resonated with the material right off. Then I think I let her know my mission and, and what uh, Ken's writing means to me and what the book means to me and what it means to people around the world. And then ultimately that the plot is one thing, that this is this epic love story and the struggles between these two individuals and then how they are ultimately transformed by love. So I want to take people experientially through romantic love and passionate love, and that drives everyone in. Everyone knows that. And then ultimately into courageous love and selfless love and ultimately transcendent love. And so when I think about film and the power of this media, that it's experiential in a way. And so I wanted to make this movie very experiential. So it's something that requires full undivided attention. Um, like The Fountain or The Tree of Life or one of the most uh, powerful films for me as a kid was The Elephant Man and the way that I sat through that movie and that the plot isn't so important as a delivery system for the experience. And that by the end of that movie, I was crucified and then also felt what is the value of compassion and could feel it and embody that and and hold that and then saw it again and again and again over years and it greeted me differently each time. So I wanted to really with Grace and Grit ultimately take the viewer through this experience to draw them into all of these feelings and emotions. So specifically to answer the question, they've got to fall in love with our characters. They've got to love Ken. They've got to love Treya. They've got to come to want to understand these people, to identify with them, and then be taken through the joys that they feel, the hope, the elation, and then ultimately the brutality and the pain, and then ultimately beyond that, the release, and then the knowing, and this deep connection. So to go from gross, subtle, causal, to feel that waking, dreaming, deep sleep, connection to, to to go from here to beyond that I think that it was the agenda really for me as a storyteller and as an artist is always about transcendence it's always about transcendent storytelling so I thought having seen the film sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you come on in terms of the POV uh, as a director and the way that it's shot I want the, to draw the audience in and become familiar with the voices and, and, and the sensibilities of these two characters, but then also to then dro- have them drop into their specific experiences so that they end up feeling like him and they end up feeling like her so that they can go through this journey together with these two. So you're somebody, thank you, you're somebody who sort of lives, breathes, walks, has... has um, 
you speak to the fact that how of how much you have personally evolved as a result of Interval, which I you know and and, and Ken's influence, which I would I would also say that you know sort of I would also say that that's something that I feel. Um, when you were making this story, though, that's a love story that is very, I will say, from my perspective of having seen it, um, you don't need to be somebody who's versed in integral to be able to relate to the movie. It's very personable. It's very, it's beautiful. It's very easily, I found it very um, easy to relate to and, and surprising, very provocative um, in terms of their journey of love. Were you conscious of... Were you conscious of trying to bring integral art or an integral approach to the story in the making of it, or did you just kind of traditionally follow it in terms of um, as as a as a love story? Because it's really a love story versus a cancer story. Absolutely, that, that and in a lot of ways, the illness is just the mechanism that's catalytic towards the the the. Mm. Uh, dexterity and, and, and draw that brings these two individuals together. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't set out to make a sort of integral story in that way, but I think that mm-hmm. moreover, it's just the lens by which I operate as a storyteller because I didn't want to make a film that's um, scholarly or pedantic in any kind of way. Um, but it was obviously important for me to say, well, this work and this man's mind who's transformed me so much, it's so important to integrate that into the story because I don't want to just make a, a story about boy and girl fall in love and, and have challenges. Um, and so to integrate Ken's work into it um, with representations uh, throughout and then infusing his work uh, throughout was very, very important. And that happens mostly, you know, first off, obviously in the script adaptation process. And then later then, I think just as a storyteller, um, the way that uh, I use the lenses or the way that you, we use colors or the way that, you know, we integrate sound and, as you said, light. Um, mm. the way I t- in, in terms of telling a story, the interiors and the exteriors, they're very often we're going inside of these these beings' minds and their hearts. And so Ken's character, played by Stuart, is seen underwater and we feel really his pain and, and his joy and his anticipation and his hope and his struggle. And then also with uh, Treya, with, played by Mina, you know, we go into her world, her hopes and her anticipations where she's climbing this, this beautiful um, hill uh, and, and climbs to the top. And ultimately we find in the end that these two individuals are searching for each other, but somehow intuitively they're reaching out to try to touch one another and that they've come together in this life. And at the moment that they're sort of, that they touch each other, they have this touch, they're ripped apart. But at that same moment that they're ripped apart, they're also bound together forever. And so to articulate that kind of story, uh, film is a wonderful medium to be able to do that. And so that was my, certainly the attempt in every aspect of it, whether it's with wardrobe or with set design in the different locations uh, and also with uh, the dialogue itself and of course with the lighting and the colors and, and the way that everything is framed and the music. To me, so I'm going to make a confession here. We talked about the movie over, over, over sort of many years as you were getting it off the ground and um, 
And there's an aspect of the movie that I balked at. Um, and, and you know that I have a great deal of love and respect for both you and Ken. And it's the positioning of the holistic healing and alternative healing, I think I should say, because obviously Ken and Treya's experience was deeply personal, um, but, uh, and the choices, incredibly challenging. And, you know, that the, the journey of health, especially if you have critical health issues, um, you have to make choices, you have to make, you have to process decisions. And it's, it's part of the story that is these incredibly phenomenal um, phenomenally intelligent people who are navigating what life throws at them so unfairly. Um, talk to me about that we've had discussions about the fact that uh, an adaptation has to be true to, true to facts, but talk to me about holistic healing and how it surfaces in the film and, and I guess your relationship to that, because I know that, I know that for, I know that for both of them, that was part. That was part of the struggle. For, so for me, it's something that's uh, that's very important. Obviously, um, I. Uh, uh, There's a whole other conference. No, I did put it in the context. I'm going to jump in. My one of my best and dearest friends is a Reiki and Sakim. Uh, healer and I know for a fact I've seen her work on animals I, I know she works on me um, and if it wasn't real then I would just be happily sat at home doing it on myself and not you know sort of not but I know that those those are great healing arts so just yes yeah, just give us some context around that because there's what happens in the film and then there's a broader context of belief yes absolutely and I think Ken articulates that so uh, well in, in, in a number of different papers and books um, that yeah. there's this downward causation, let's say, even with astrological, um, the, what's happening in the stars, let's say, magnetically, and then also what's happening with feel, and, and certainly what's happening in, in the subtle currents of, along the chakra lines. And so I think that anyone going into, and particularly, again, this is 19, you know, this is in the, you know, 80s, and so how do we uh, apprehend a challenge and use as many resources as we have. And I think that one of the interesting things in terms of this as a film and as a story, right, is to say, well, one individual has one sense and the other individual has another sense. And it doesn't really matter what those things are, but that once they make a commitment and a decision, they come together to say, let's embrace this fully. And I think that also follows in this story, the arc of our, of our characters, where the, his character goes from head to heart and her character goes from doing to being, and then she reaches this place that she terms passionate equanimity. In other words, giving everything to the process, but without attachment to the result. And I think that they then influence one another in that way so that um, his position might be when they're exploring different things is saying, hey, listen, I believe that this has a 5% influence or a 10% influence or 20% or whatever the thing is, but whatever you decide, I'm here for you completely that I'm going to support whatever it is that you engage yeah. in. And that, that friction and then that ultimate coming together allows for, in terms of articulating this in a two-hour movie, uh, the opportunity for humor and for fun and for exploration, but also for deeper meaning that saying, listen, it doesn't matter what we commit to in this life, what's worth the price of the candle? Uh, like a, you know, even Alan Watts will say, well, there's no point in meditation. It's, it's a perfectly good way to waste your time, as is anything in life. So why not engage fully in whatever the thing is that we decide to do? You do this 
incredible, beautiful job of, of, of just giving us the experience of the yin and yang and, and really light is like a light is used in a way that it takes us in and out of inner and external and dreams and states. And, but it's like a third character. It's, it's, it, it, because it gives you a very comforting sense. It's kind of like, it starts off with, Oh, those are kind of like fun hippie flares. I kind of like the style of it, but by the end, it's as if she is surrounded and bathed in light. And there's this gorgeous, I found that, I found that it was really, it was extraordinary, apart from the revelatory performances, and they, they really are, and, and all credit to you for enabling that, because it does come from the head. Um, it's just, it's beautiful how Ken as a character within it, played gorgeously by Stuart, is strong and and profound in this kind of very romantic, dignified way. But ultimately the strength is her. Ultimately the, the two of them come together and maybe I'm biased because I'm a girl but a woman, but it feels as if um, it's Treya who is impacted by this uh, such unfair, unfair thing who just walks through walks through this physical experience and and dissolves out of it and it's just it's just heartbreaking um and it's not without loss it's not without fear and it's captured and you just capture it in this extraordinary way i know that as you went through eight years of just unbelievably tenacious tenacity i saw you know you talked briefly about it but i i think i have a bit of a better sense of how much it took out of you and how much you put into it and I know that part of the struggle as a filmmaker is I need more money. I want to do this. I want to do that. And did you in prep have a sense that I could just do a better film if I had this much more money? I get the sense that you didn't compromise much in terms of your vision. Now that you see what you've done with what you had, do you think you would have done a better job had you had more money? Oh, what a wonderful question. Um, always it's nice to have more. I, I, certainly in the post-production process, there is something to be said, though, about the constraints of not having too much, that then we, are, we have to then articulate something with the creative process. In other words, uh, if you put together, let's say, you know, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise and The War of the Worlds, you say, well, this is an amazing actor, an amazing director and producer, and an amazing story, and you just gave them two million dollars or five million dollars, they'd go make a movie, they'd make the most spectacular movie ever made, but they made a movie that was 100 or 200 or 300 million dollars, and sometimes then that becomes distractive, that every scene that Tom is in in that film, there's always an explosion in the background or some sort of CGI that ultimately pulls us out of this. So in a lot of ways, uh, the constraint of the budget and the time helps it. Um, for me, I've, uh, in the last 15 years, written, produced, and directed enough that I've shot underwater on a yacht, on a Zodiac, from a helicopter, in car chases, etc., and then deep up close in very powerful scenes with actors emotionally. So, and then used uh, and worked enough with, as you say, using the, the mechanisms of light. So in terms of the constraints, the budgets, and going into this movie, um, it was very important for the 
director and the DP, the director of photography, the cinematographer, to have a very close relationship because things move fast and the hours are very long, working 4 a.m. to midnight every day for a very, very long period. So Sean, my dear collaborator on this and my DP, we've done several projects together, so we have a shorthand. He's been underwater with me, on a boat with me, in a helicopter, etc. So by the time we got to this, we did about a week of lens testing, just he and I, where I literally acted out every scene in the movie and acted out every character. We talk about what lens we're going to use, how we're going to use the light, what we're going to shoot, you know, and what's going to be a long single and what will be more conventional cutting and editing. So that about by the time that we get to set, we know exactly what we're going to do, uh, whatever problems uh, you know or challenges show up on set so in terms of the budget yes I mean it in one way yes it's always great to have more but in another way sometimes it brings other individuals and artists to the project who say listen I want to make a living I want to make I want to do I want to get paid well I want to work on this movie let's say, but I love the work. I love the process. I love this thing. So if I can ground that an example, let's say I had had $20 million to start. I might've just put offers out to actors and I wouldn't have ended up with Mina, right? I mean, is a, a star, brilliant, spectacular actor, but I had to meet her to then realize this is the woman. And now retrospectively, both with Mina and with Stuart, I could not imagine any other two actors to have played these roles. Right, and there's a, I mean, there's a lot of, we've spoken a lot about Mina, but Stuart is also absolutely extraordinary. And there are moments when you kind of go, wait, what, I'm good. There were the moments when he, see, he feels so like Ken in terms of how we see him. And there's a picture at the end of the two of them is absolutely, um, absolutely, Really, really extraordinary. Um, so I get, the I get the sense that it wouldn't have been a better process if you'd been given a blank check. And I just want to share that you, Bence, you had brought up um, filming in Hungary um, and Stalin. And I will say that I, I am passionately a believer that film and storytelling and narrative, I think you've built something that's a beautiful example of how that doesn't necessarily make you better. And perhaps that intimacy in the internal world was came out of the challenge of having to have spending eight years thinking, how am I going to do this on the budget that I'm going to get if I'm not going to compromise on how I need to make this film. Um, and I remember filming in Hungary, Ivan Passa was one of my favorite, favorite directors of all time who directed Stalin and his name is Ivan. And we filmed in Hungary and we had Hungarian crew who were absolutely wonderful. And he would stand on set and every now and again, somebody would say, Ivan, and which is <laughs> Hungarian for some, what is it Hungarian for? But every time somebody said Ivan as they shouted instructions across yeah. the set, he would look up and say, did somebody need me? And they're like, no, no, no. It means something in Hungarian. But I also remember... And, and I have always carried with me as an artist the fact that there was a day in this, we were in the Kremlin and, and uh, uh, Ivan's uh, had lost the little screw in his glasses and, had, and, it, and we were on a huge sprawling set that had lots going on. And so while in our downtime, um, we all started a silly, ridiculous search for it. And this, uh, the props master came up over to us and asked us what we were looking for. And we said, oh, it's, we're looking for the tiny little screw that keeps the arm of your glasses in there. And he said, I have it. And it, it, again, it's just this, the way that different countries and different cultures 
have had to, like, I mean, I can't imagine somebody in the West stopping to pick up a small screw because they would need it. And, and, and working with Eastern Europeans, working in Hungary and Russia with those crews and, and seeing that level of art, there was something for me about it that your work did a similar thing. It was very, you didn't, you did, it didn't feel constrained. It felt expansive and it felt creative as a, in response to what are normally seen as, seen as constraints. I have a sense that we probably should... Um, uh, bring in Mr. Wilbur. Um, uh, do, you want, do you want to wrap? Can I? Yes. Is there something that you would like to say, Sebastian, in terms of? Yeah, I want to underscore just what you mentioned also about Stuart because I, you know, we met at the right moment at the right time. Also, where this is an enormous undertaking and it's daunting for an actor. And I think a lot of actors that uh, we were sort of discussing with at the at the moment, you know, very uh, well known. Also. Uh, we're daunted. It's intimidating. How are you going to play Ken Wilber? How do you do that, right? And I think Stuart, you know, came to this at the right moment, at the right time in his life, where there was so much. He had this sort of well, the both of them, this emotional well of, of resource to draw upon. And then, um, you know, he had to basically go through this integral Ken Wilber immersive very brief period where he's reading everything and I've given him all these videos and I've given him DVDs and I've given him etc uh, you know and so he showed up on set and really embodied that so in the first couple of days though there were moments where he'd be working on something he'd say are, you know are you, do you feel that this is right and I would say 100% he'd say are you sure and I'd say no man Trust me, I've been living with this human inside my cells uh, for a long time, and you are so on point. And then the way that uh, it was uh, expressed through him was really powerful and wonderful and masculine and tender. Yeah, and it was I think gorgeous. I mean, it was, yeah. He, he really captured, and um, you know, great to have somebody on board who actually can reflect back to you. Yes, you're really, you're really on point. But I felt that I felt what was also very personal about the film is it's not just, and um, you know, it's 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 not just this incredibly intimate story that that Ken has shared, but it's also it's the interweaving of their separate diaries that Ken pulls together, pulls together in this book. But I felt that there was so much confidence in Stuart's performance when he did get to have to kind of touch and wax lyrical on integral stuff, which can be quite daunting. Um, but at the same time, he, so he, but he wasn't kind of, he didn't dumb it down. He, he kind of owned, there's a kind of ownership of it in terms of being that smart. And how do I, how do I, there was no kind of like trying to make other people feel comfortable with how smart he was and what he was, how he was going to live. But then at the same time, the, these, it, the, the emotional vulnerability of being rocked and, and how do you take care of someone? How do you give? How do I feel about my life being, being taken over by it? So uh, just a, a beautiful job. And um, thank you for making the film. Hey, you know, small uh, note, but that's interesting, I think, uh, when you mentioned the story about the glasses, that, you know, there's subtle things that uh, most audiences won't be aware of, but that they'll feel in terms of colors in Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, in terms of the colors with each character, in terms of the way that light is used throughout the movie, and the clear differentiation between the three houses, the three homes that they live in. They're very clear choices, but also with Ken's glasses, that we start off, and he's got these 
glasses that he would wear at the time. And then we end up, and that was the one set piece that I was super adamant about. I was like, we have to get these exact glasses. And so we got them. And that sort of also mirrors what's occurring for them in their relationship internally, these three stages in, in terms of this sort of act one, act two, act three. So it was a great glasses story. In there. All right. Can we bring in Ken? <clears throat> Yes, surely we can. And then we're switching now to integral storytelling. Yes. Yeah, just to give context to people, um, as a result of COVID-19, somewhat bizarrely, one of the sort of, uh, yes, just a, a kind of COVID response, Mr. Wilbur has not actually been able to see the film. Um, so... Uh, and I, and I think, you know, that thing, you can see watching it on Zoom, how for Sebastian, it's kind of like, it's not an optimal thing for him to, to see it through streaming. So, uh, so Ken has not actually seen the film, um, but we did want to demand that he unpack for us integral art and integral storytelling. So very generously, um, uh, he's, he's joined us for that. And actually, no, none of the actors in the movie have seen the film either. Uh, very few, very just a, a few people have seen it, but I was. I feel very honoured. I feel I was planning on flying out to to show Ken the movie, obviously, and then this thing went down. But that'll be happening soon, I hope. Yeah. Okay, so we invite Ken in. Ken, are you with us? Yes, I am. Uh, hey, to be here with you all. Um, let me just say um, right off the bat, because it might come up. Um, the Grace and Grit was, came out around 1995, and I refused to talk about it in public for over 20 years. I was asked questions and I just wouldn't respond. And the reason I wouldn't respond is I would start crying, literally. Um, it was just still such a moving experience to me. And in part, it was out of sadness that I still felt, but just as much it was out of gratitude because it was a love story. And I felt so grateful in being introduced to that love. So I've still only talked about it for about six or seven times in the past subsequent 20 years. And I get choked up every time. So I'm just mentioning that now. We are going to talk about theory, but you might get a few tears with some of the theory. It's still an extremely overwhelming. Okay, well, I'm not seeing everyone else, but I'm beginning to cry. So I might ask you to uh, I've been sitting here as you two were talking about it, and tears are just running down my face. I'm just going, oh, God. But it's good tears, right? Sometimes tears are good, and sometimes that's... It is. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to catch up with you and I hope that you do find a moment to talk to people about it. But just as an individual who has been able to see the film and it's such an intimate, raw thing, just deep gratitude to you because it is, it's an experience of love and light that you have not just gone through yourself at great cost, but shared with us. You know, storytelling, you could have kept that to yourself, you could have not braved that and been courageous about it, and you've shared it with us in, in letting, and trusting Sebastian to do it, and, and, and I, I can only imagine that you're going to be thrilled when you do see it. 